There are a good many ways that institutional investors are taking best advantage of this versatile market created by broad public participation. Hi everyone and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. I'm Matthew Howes-Barbie and today I'm speaking with Palmer, one of the founders of Monster Champions. Monster Champions, it's a newly launched play and earn game and um, I guess you could kind of think about it like Pokemon on the blockchain. Uh, I don't want to bastardize it uh, here, but you know, like I, I think the team itself is made up of people that have come from a whole host of other successful play and earn projects, uh, some of which have actually appeared previously on the podcast. And, you know, while it's still pretty early to tell how the game is actually gonna gonna net out, they've just finished their Genesis Mint, which I took part in, just as a disclaimer. Um, yeah, I've been I've been following its development closely, and I think if if nothing else, it's gonna be a really unique gaming experience and some of the tokenomics, the mechanics they have in the game are really, really interesting to to follow and pay attention to. So, you know, Palmer goes into a ton of detail on those exact mechanics behind the gameplay, the minting, some of the different tokenomics, the different token sinks, how all of this is going to work and balancing supply and demand. The, we, we, we dig in, in in quite a bit of detail on this episode. So if, you are, if you're really interested in understanding how some of these play and earn ecosystems are designed from the very early beginnings of them, this is going to be a perfect episode to start tuning into and probably tie together a number of the previous episodes where I've been speaking to other founders of play and earn ecosystems that are maybe in a little later stage of maturity to to this one that's still relatively new. So we'll jump straight into all of that right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. Welcome, Palmer. Why don't you just start by giving us a little bit of an overview of your background and how you came about launching Monster Champions in the first place? Sure. Happy to do it. Appreciate you having me, by the way. Um, yeah, so my background is mainly in data science and analytics. Uh, I've always had a passion for for games and game design. Most recently, I had the opportunity to like cut my teeth over at Crypto Raiders. Um, that's an awesome team. They're building a great game. Uh, if you haven't talked with them much yet, I highly recommend uh, you know getting them on. We had uh, we had Nat um, on the on the podcast. I think he's doing some some work with you guys now as well on the tokenomics side of things. If I'm right. Mm-hmm. Yep, he is. He is. Um, but yeah, love that team. Uh, and I had the opportunity to kind of enter the Web3 gaming space with them. Um, so I've been with them for the last several months. It's been an awesome experience. Um, and I've had a lot of fun. And that's what really catalyzed my passion for gaming in this space. 
um, designing things that not only have a game component, but also that token side and having like, uh, to me, it's like very complete. When you think back on some of the most popular games in, in history, especially on the computer, they all involve some sort of like game economy. And so this is kind of taking it to that next level. And it's really, really fulfilling and really fun to be a part of it. Um, and I see a lot of opportunity here. So that's kind of how I got started in uh, Web3 specifically with with building games like this. Great. And yeah, I mean, it, it seems like Crypto Raiders in particular has had a lot of positivity surrounding it. It seems, especially from a gameplay experience, a great place to, I guess, like start, start testing and playing things around. And now with Monster Champions, it seems like I, I look at it and what I thought was interesting when I first saw Crypto Raiders is the level of kind of like the layers, the complexity, the the lore and everything surrounding it, which is what a lot of the community attaches to. It seems like Monster Champions is going down a, a similar similar route. Um, maybe maybe you could just give like the, the high level elevator pitch, if you like, on what Monster Champions is. And uh, we can dig in in more detail after. Sure, definitely. And so we've actually compared it a lot to uh, mobile games because that's what myself and uh, Zach, my co-founder uh, for this game, that's what we have our most experience with in the past um, together. You know, so we've played console, we've played PC, but primarily together we've played mobile games. And there's something like really, really special about the mechanics in these games that we think positioned them really well for the Web3 space. Um, and beyond Monster Champions, we see a lot of opportunity for uh, these mobile games to enter the space. And so we've modeled our game heavily off of stuff like that. So it's more akin to like a, like an auto battler with a lot of manual features. Um, if you're looking to maximize your, your gameplay, your strategy, stuff like that. Um, so essentially what the, what the like main loop is going to look like as a player is you create your account, you know, you go through tutorial, you get basic understanding of, of how the battle works. Um, it's turn-based mechanics, but the turns are dictated by a speed mechanic. And so um, you're moving asynchronously. And so like you might take three turns before your opponent takes one turn, um, depending on how you design your team. Um, as with any game, there's trade-offs. So you might be heavy in speed and low on you know HP and defense and stuff. So you're a quick hitter. Uh, you know, whereas your opponent might be heavy in HP and defense, they're going to try to tank, you know, every hit that you're throwing at them and then, uh, you know, retaliate with a powerful skill. And so having that strategy right from the start, um, just built into the actual like core gameplay and turn mechanics is a really good foundation for, for the way that we want this game to go. Um, on top of that, as a player, I like to talk a lot about short-term strategy and long-term strategy. So your long-term strategy is stuff that's more integral to the game mechanics. And so that's when you get into your speed. Like, am I building a quick team or a bulky team? Um, am I statting these guys to be heavy attack, heavy HP, heavy defense? Um, when you get into PVP, there's a lot more uh, situations where you might want high resistance. And so, um, you know, as, as with any game, stats can be one influencer, but skills are another. And so for a lot of monsters, their skill effects are going to be what makes them strategically viable. Um, something with a high chance to stun, something with an opportunity to put the opponent to sleep, lower attack and defense. Uh, in PvP, that strategy becomes really, really important. So uh, one common PvP approach in a game like this might be high resist in order to avoid 
being attacked by uh, you know those secondary effects. And so that's stuff that I would define more as long-term strategy. So that's generally like a player preference. But then you have a lot of short-term strategy as well, where you're making decisions either right before the battle or like in you know turn-based real time uh, in the battle. So and sorry if I'm, I'm droning on a little bit. No, here, this is but... great. Uh, this is great. Awesome. Um, but, you know, before you go into a battle, you've got a team preview of who you're going up against, whether it's uh, PVE. So just, you know, playing against the, the environment, just a basic battle. Um, there's going to be some strategy involved there in which monsters you want to use. But most importantly, in PVP, when you're going up against another player, you're going to want to look at their team preview and figure out who you need to take in a battle to best increase your chances to win. Um, and that is something that I call short-term strategy because it's completely independent of how you've built the rest of your team sometimes. Um, for our game, we have elemental advantages. So uh, if your best team is fire and your opponent is water, you might have to go off script a little bit and put some, some nature monsters in there to counter that. Um, and I think that that short-term strategy is really important uh, in gameplay. And I think that that's generally what people talk about when they look at strategy is like, okay, what am I doing in real time? Um, but I love drawing attention to that long-term component because that's what really captures me as a player is, you know, over the course of several months, uh, I'm designing this team. I'm putting a lot of effort into it. I'm putting a lot of attention into how everything is built, how they're statted, um, you know, especially in a game like this, which monsters I'm buying and investing in. Um, you know, you most players won't have enough, like, capital to just go in and just sweep everything and and build like just this massive team of all the monsters so you've got to be kind of mindful there of which ones you're you're using uh and just when you put all those things together that's when i get really excited about a game like this because it gives you so many options um it sounds yeah. it sounds like there's a lot of like facets to this and it sounds really interesting uh kind of is is taking me back to my my childhood of playing pokemon a little bit here uh, of just thinking about some of the strategy involved, but the um, so am I right in thinking that almost you would build out almost like a stable, if you like, of of inventory of these these monsters, and especially within PvP, you'd then kind of build and form those into individual teams that are going to be best suited against the individual opponents that that, that you'd have. Would it, would that be a typical way this is going to kind of work for people? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, very similar to what it would look like. So you'd have, you know, this larger collection of your, all your monsters, and then you pick, you know, a smaller subset of that to go into each battle. Got it. Okay. And you've just, uh, so if I even just take a little bit of a step back, you recently wrapped up the Genesis Mint of your champions, right, which are distinct from the the monsters. Um, what, well, first of all, how did the the uh the first sale of the the genesis champions go and uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how the champions are going to play a role in the game moving forward yeah so uh it actually went really well we had an awesome time with it we ended up with 3200 sold um you know right in that range and it puts us in a really good spot to launch with like a tight community and a controlled foundation for earnings um something we've talked about a lot is using those Genesis champions is kind of like this VIP pass uh, for everything in the game. Um, and so that'll look like, you know, special airdrops, special access to content, um, which is, you know, about what you can expect from any game that, that has like that special community. 
Um, but the most important thing to us about those is it gives us a fantastic subset to introduce any sort of like earning enabled components. Um, you know, with that like little controlled group, um, it sets us up really nicely to throw out some feelers with our economic components. Um, we're looking to live ship this game, which means that we're going to be rolling out updates frequently and expanding on it often. And so having that group of people that we can kind of put those feelers out with and get some feedback, get some balancing in there before it's released to the entire uh, like greater community is going to be really healthy for us in the long run. And I think help us avoid a lot of problems that other projects fall into. Right, for sure. So maybe we can maybe we can dig in a little bit here then with some of the different components within the ecosystem. I want to touch on touch in on some of this where you've got you've got these champions which we've just mentioned. We've got monsters mm -hmm. which you talked a little bit about. I believe there's also eggs and then the it sounds like from some of the initial messages I've seen in the Discord, there's also going to be some tokens involved. Maybe you could talk about the different components and how they'll all be involved in maybe even just like the short to medium term in the in the ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we can get into, yeah, just like that general ecosystem and how each component plays a role there. Uh, so champions, uh, for starters, those are like the leader of every team. Um, and really in the game, they're going to become your identity. And so some players are just going to own one. A lot of players are going to own multiple. Um, the reason being champions have, or particularly the Genesis champions, have a unique ability called elemental affinity. Um, this is basically paired with certain elements. So you have fire, water, nature, light, and dark. Um, those are our five elements in the game. And the Genesis champions each possess one of those five elements. Um, whenever that champion is paired with a monster in game, then that, or sorry, assuming that it is a, a like elemented monster. So for example, if you have a, a water champion and a water monster, um, that water monster will gain a buff that is uh, equivalent to like the elemental affinity level of that champion. And so the way that we break that down is the Genesis champions have uh, distinct like elemental features on them. And so when you add up like the number of elemental features that that champion has, that's how you arrive at your score. Um, it doesn't sound as elegant in words <laughs> because uh, of course it's all visual, but um you know, we have that on there and we actually have the elemental affinity level represented on OpenSea. Um, so our release is later today. Yeah, our release is later today and we have that, um, you know, like as an actual like shown feature. And so people will know right off the bat without having to personally count the, the number of elemental features. Um, yeah. And just a quick question. I know that we're still digging into some of the different components, but I know you were talking about, you know, like some of the different elements there fire water nature i think you mentioned as well the some of the strengths and weaknesses and uh what will work better against others are they all going to be kind of published out of the gate or is it going to be something that the players are going to have to discover over time so those will be published out of the gate um actually starting this week we're going to be rolling out a weekly medium article each one is going to break down a different component of the game um, like in, in high detail. Um, and so that'll be a good opportunity for us to kind of enlighten players on the overall gameplay mechanics. And then on top of that, I have a game design document that I'd like to uh, 
I'm, I'm working on cleaning it up right now so I can share it with the community, but it's got a lot of vital info in there as well on how all of that works. Okay, great. So people are going to then start to be able to really think through their, I guess, their long-term strategy, right? And what they're going to start focusing their energy to, towards building and acquiring. Um, so why don't we, so we talked a bit about the champions. We talked briefly on some of the monsters. What about the the eggs and what else can we learn around the, the monsters side of things? Sure. So monsters, as, as we kind of mentioned earlier, are going to be like the core of your, your strategy. And so each one or each like species, I should say, has its own unique uh, like skill set. And so, for example, Moose Sprout on its basic attack, it has like a passive heal that is applied to uh, like a random member on your team. So every time Moose Sprout, uh, for those who don't know, Moose Sprout is our nature starter. Um, it's my favorite. <laughs> it is really cute, and it's a cute little cow. Um, but so on its basic attack, it'll cast like a, a team heal um, on one random ally. And so, uh, like, right away, you can start to see how something as simple as that creates a very unique advantage. Um, if you have a long battle uh, and a fast moose sprout, that means it's going to be landing a lot of team heals on you, um, you know, of course, randomly. But it helps you create just, like, more sustainability in your battle. Um, so each species will have its own unique skill set. So every moose sprout has the same skills. Um, but no other monster has the same skills as Moose Sprout. Okay, um, so there's like distinct differences from one to another, but every version or like every individual uh, Moose Sprout NFT will hold the same level of like uh, or attacks and defense like capabilities. Yeah, exactly. And so their basic stats um, or their leveled stats will all be the same. Um, so they'll grow the same, just like any other Moose Sprout would. But where the player gets an opportunity to have some uniqueness is every monster can be equipped with up to six runes. And these runes have stats on them as well. And that's where the bulk of your strategy comes into play. Um, so for example, if you go heavy attack on a monster, the amount of attack that you could get from six runes adds up to about like roughly like a 160% increase. Um, you know, just as an example, but so you can imagine that that's highly customizable. You might go 160% into attack. You might go 80 into attack, 80 into HP. Um, you know, a more proper strategy if you're attacking would probably be 40% into attack, 100% into crit damage, and like 40% into crit rate. So there's like a lot of like mixing and matching that you can do here. Uh, and that's where I think the rune system really opens up that, that gameplay and strategy. Uh, for the player and can the will the rune uh will the runes actually like remain fixed on the individual monsters like let's say i i have a, a moose sprout and maybe i i sell this I, I trade it on the secondary marketplace will the runes go with it or can they be swapped out like how, how will they work yeah so i've actually put a lot of thought into this one in particular um because as i mentioned earlier anything that has economic impact you've got to think about really seriously um, and what, what we've arrived at is, so yes, the runes should transfer when you trade a monster because that's half of what makes it so special. Um, otherwise you could just have a marketplace with a bunch of base monsters and a bunch of completed monsters, and there wouldn't be really a difference between them. Uh, and we, we want to be able to give people that like buyer seller edge. Um, so essentially what we've devised is when you trade a monster, the runes will be locked to it. 
So uh, when you own it yourself, you can remove the runes uh, freely. Um, you have to pay like a fee to remove them, uh, but it's not major. You know, it's something that we want people to do. Like when you get a new monster, um, if you move runes from one monster to that one, then you probably have another monster that you're taking runes off of to fill the other one. And so like, it's like a, like a chain reaction, if you can imagine that. Um, I don't know if you've ever played like one of those like sliding puzzles, like the mm -hmm. square ones, um, where there's like one blank square and you've got to put the picture yeah. together. That's kind of how I imagine the rune, the rune system. So, okay. Um, what infuriating is, is that? Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, I've, I've played games with similar mechanics where you've got an inventory of like a hundred, you know, characters, uh, and you change one thing on one of them, and all of a sudden you've moved like the top item from like fifty different ones to kind of like fill those gaps down the stream. Um, but yeah, so that's something that that we've put a lot of thought into. So when you trade it, it'll become fused to that monster, so that the other player cannot remove that rune. Um, and and the reason that's important is we don't want there to become like this economy of like buying and selling runes because that's one of our most important sinks in the game. Um, yeah. So you want to take that away from just being a secondary kind of uh, market basically. Yeah, exactly. And it's not to be mean to our players, you know, it's, it's to benefit people um, because as, as with any game and trading uh, you have to make sure that it's not just outright pay to win and that everyone has a chance and runes are heavily dependent on RNG within the game. And that RNG component is uh, really important. We don't want to take that away from people. And so by having the rune fused to the monster, you can still get the benefit of selling a monster with like really good stats and runes. Um, and then if the receiving player or the purchasing player wants to remove them, uh, they can, but it'll be destroyed in the process. Um, so that lets them benefit from the value of the rune but not just buy a monster to take the rune off of it and put it on something else. Uh, um, yeah, because I guess there's like an arbitrage there where if runes secondary market values like skyrocket and actually it could end up working cheaper to just buy a monster with a bunch of these on, switch them out. And yeah, that I, I like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, with, with the monsters, is there going to be a fixed supply of each monster or will there be an an, an uncapped supply of, of how many come into there and 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 how how are they how are they introduced into the ecosystem or minted initially sure great question so we put a lot of thought into this one as well and what we've arrived at is at the core of this we want it to be a game uh and in a game there's not fixed supply you know for for almost everything there's unlimited supply and so monsters at their like I don't, I don't know what you would call that at their like core, I guess. I think I've said that already in this call, but um, you know, the, the most important thing about them is that they are accessible to everyone. Like we want people to be able to collect monsters and build their team um, because you can gate things with requirements that aren't just like outright supply. So for example, um, accumulating a lot of monsters over time is going to take exactly that. It'll take time. Um, so we're using time as a factor to gate kind of the emission rate of these monsters instead of like overall supply. That's really important for us for making this feel like an actual game. Um, but one important thing to note is that the reason people do like limited supply is for the economic factor. Um, 
So in order to kind of retain that, we have what's called variant monsters. Um, variant monsters, you can liken them to uh, like shinies in Pokemon. And so they're going to have like a different color pattern on them. Uh, so each monster will have a variant form. That variant form will be limited in supply and it will be earning enabled. So what that looks like as a player is uh, when you obtain a variant monster, you'll know right away because it's going to look different uh, and it'll have a number attributed to it. Each variant monster will be a one of 100 for that monster. So there will be 100 variant moose sprouts, for example. Um, and the reason that's important to us is since they're earning enabled, we need to have some sort of control on the supply. That's where you kind of get into those like concerns in Web3 is games that have no control on the supply or games where like supply gets away from them. It can become really harmful overall to like the, the game's economy. And so kind of having control over that allows us to make sure that we're not like emitting those at a crazy rate and that we're making it like a responsible emission for our community and for the players. Um, but at the same time, like opening that up with the variants is a great opportunity to enable earnings for the community. Um, and just another way that we can bring in those, uh, you know, those token earnings. So it seems like you, you're putting a lot of thought into the, the emission side of things. And I, I hear what you're saying with how um, the kind of unlimited supply side of things can really um, ha lead projects to have the emissions get, get out of control. I guess um, one, one thing that we've talked a lot about is some of the different token sinks that, that you have in place, which is really interesting. But we haven't talked yet about the, the tokens that will also be at play. Um, so I, I'm assuming here that some oh, you can only earn with some of these variant monsters. And when you're not using variant monsters, it, that there won't be any emissions coming from the others. Am I, am I right in thinking that? And what what are the what are the different tokens that are going to comprise the ecosystem as well? Sure. So we refer to the variant monsters as earning enabled um, because those are the ones that you're going to have like kind of that direct earning from the game and that's how players start to kind of calculate like roi and stuff like that and so having that like foundational um earning components really important to us for kind of laying that base layer of player expectation like if i have a variant monster here's about what i can expect to be accumulating from this game um, and then on top of that we have releasing like a little bit after our initial launch is our alliance system that's going to be really important for uh, non-variant owners. Um, so the Alliance system, in like the bigger picture, it's designed to help onboard new players. So anytime a player enters a dungeon, they'll have an opportunity to bring along uh, like an ally from the Alliance system. And those monsters are going to be supplied by ideally like the higher ranking players, um, people who have more monsters than they can use themselves. Uh, you know, this may start drawing some similarities in your mind of other other like Web3 games where it's, you know, like, oh, how do you bring value to people who have more NFTs than they're able to use or people who don't have time to use all their NFTs? And so for us, that answers the alliance system. So if you stake a regular monster to it, um, we're using staking as a general term. It's not necessarily like in the, the NFT sense, though I think we are going to require the monster to be uh, minted in order to be staked. Um, 
but yeah, so so when you stake that monster in the alliance, it becomes available to any other player who's running a dungeon. Uh, they can take that monster along to aid them in their travels, make it a little easier on them. And that's really important for uh, kind of closing that power gap, too. It helps new players progress a little more quickly through the game, uh, with, you know, the help of their bigger brothers. Uh, but it's even more important for the earning side of the game for people who own a lot of variant monsters. So when you stake a variant monster to the Alliance, it retains its earning potential uh, from like the dungeons. And so I mentioned earlier that we have like that general mission structure where just using a variant monster in a dungeon can yield you an opportunity to earn tokens at the end. Um, and the same applies if you're using a variant through the Alliance system. So if you're using that variant that has been staked by the owner, you will share in those earnings with the owner. Um, yeah, so that becomes particularly important for people who don't have time to play or, uh, you know, we've got a lot of maxis in the community with a ton of uh, monsters. Uh, you know, we've had some people make some really big bets on this game uh, and we love it because we've talked a lot about our mechanics, uh, you know, obviously in this call um, and beyond though. I mean, we've just talked on and on about um, kind of the structure to this game and it's instilled a lot of confidence in the community and it's great to see that um, but yeah giving everyone an opportunity to earn and not like hard capping that opportunity is really important to us so being able to share in those earnings even as a new player um, is something that we're really proud of in our in our system yeah and when in, in the alliance piece it's kind of getting a little bit in the weeds here and maybe there's still some of this needs to be figured out but if I am uh, utilizing some of the monsters that someone else has kind of put up in the alliance, will I have to pay in like the uh, for for like almost renting them if you if you like for their their use, or will that not be a, um Will it just be pure revenue share on the the variants as a way of like capturing that? So we'd like to have like kind of a dual structure here. Um... We want to have like two forms of staking to the Alliance. The first one is going to be a private stake where you're only allowing it to be used by certain people. Um, most importantly, like economic participants. And so, uh, you know, again, this is going to take some, some elbow grease on our end, but um, having it to where you can specify who is and isn't able to use your monster. And then we'll have like a couple criteria for that. Um, you know, I, in my perfect world, I'd like to let people upload like a list of wallets specifically that are allowed to use it. Um, mm. That's really important when you get into more like that Axie scholarship like structure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was going to reason... say, I can see, I can see like guilds uh, forming around and using yeah. that, that kind of use case. Yeah. And the reason that I want to note that is uh, if you're just staking it to like the public, then that's not the most efficient approach because it's fighting for use against all the other you know variant monsters that are out there um and again we've or not again because i haven't mentioned this yet in this call but um we're gonna have like algorithms that randomize like which monsters are shown to which people um it's gonna prioritize like the oldest staked monsters first and so or, or sorry the the least recently used ones first so it'll make sure that it's cycling everyone back to the top of that list in order to like encourage their usage um also if a player is just running on like auto then it'll just automatically select the monster for them um that's more important when you get into like the high level players uh 
they can probably beat the dungeon on their own with their own team. But if they want to enable earnings, maybe they take a variant along, you know, from the alliance. And so, but they don't really care which one it is. They just need something to kind of open up that earning opportunity. Um, so yeah, having that in there is going to be really important. Um, and the reason that we want to structure it that way to where you can have manual input or automatic input is so that you can choose to maximize or, you know, in a sense, minimize your, your earnings. If you want to take the time and effort to build out a guild or build out like who exactly is going to be renting your monster at what time, uh, we want you to be able to do that because you should be rewarded for that work that you're putting in and the contributions you're making to the ecosystem there. Um, but if you're someone who doesn't have time for that and you just got lucky and you have a variant monster, uh, you should still have an opportunity to get just like fundamental earnings from that. Um, so that's why we want to have that general staking opportunity. And it makes it a little less uh, like Ponzi-fied as well. Um, you're not bringing people into the game with the intent of earning off of them. And new players don't need to fight to find a, you know, a scholar uh, or, or to be a scholar um, in order to participate in those earnings. So if I'm a new player and I want to participate in the game and I want to start earning, uh, I can. I'm just going to have to make it work with the ones that are staked to general, you know. So kind of using those low connection, low commitment people on the high end with the variants and putting them together with the low connection, no, low commitment, uh, like new players on the low end. Let me know if that made sense. <laughs> no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's interesting the um, the way that, that you're approaching all of this from both like the onboarding of new kind of lower commitment players in here, giving them a chance without it just being a more traditional just scholarship route where it, it's kind of a fight to get scholars as quickly as possible and uh, uh and, and and i think we can see from a lot of different ecosystems how that can often contribute pretty heavily to token dumping as well um in, yeah. in early stages but so i think we've we've explored a bunch of like really interesting areas of monster champions it seems there's a lot of like complexity and strategy to to the game which i think is what most people in this space like really enjoy to see how that intertwines between the tokenomic structure of all of this i guess just to like as, as a final question just in the interest of time here what what are you most excited about for monster champions i know we're still at a very early stage right now but for the next six months what are some of the things that you are kind of probably the most excited about maybe one or two things to release in that time period yeah, so I'm glad you asked that question. Um, I'm a competitive guy. I like competition. Um, you know, I, I've played baseball professionally, and uh, so competition is just integral to, to like everything that I do. And I'm most excited for guild versus guild. Um, that is like to me the holy grail of game components. Um, you've got a team versus a team. You know, you're not playing the game for yourself. You're playing it for you know, your guild, you know, the friends that you've made along the way. Uh, and you're trying to, you know, assert your dominance over a rival guild. I think that is just like the coolest feature that any game can have. Um, and if you've played any any games like that, you'll, you'll probably agree. I mean, I've, I've made some of my best friends through structures like that. Um, you know, Zach and I, my, my co-founder, we, uh, we met in a game over a decade ago um, because of guild structures. Uh, we were actually in rival guilds and we hated each other. Um, <laughs> but when when the game went under, uh, we kind of 
you know, grieved together and formed a, <laughs> a, a beautiful friendship over the course of that. Um, but I think that structure is what I'm most excited about for the game. Um, we may have to change the name from like guilds to something else since guilds have taken on kind of a different meaning in Web3. Um, but yeah, I mean, being able to create a team of your own and then pair it with teams of, you know, your friends within the game uh, and go up against someone else, I, I think is just too cool. And I think that it creates like really, really healthy community interactions. Um, having that like friendly competition, I think is awesome. And we talk a lot about having like a purpose that's greater than yourself within a game. Um, I think that's what makes a game special and kind of drives sustainability is you're not always playing for yourself. You've got other people that that you want to see become better, um, that you want to help, uh, but most importantly, people that you want to like outshine <laughs> if, if you're anything like me, you know, just having that chance to, to kind of overcome someone else in terms of strategy or, you know, team composition is just really cool to me. Yeah. And it seems like it's kind of the foundation of what made and has made esports so successful. And uh, I, I keep hearing more and more projects looking to try and introduce elements of like the guild v guild model into their, their system, which is, is tough. Right. And, uh, the the thing I love about that play is just that it's an additional layer of competition across already existing layers of competition where it's like on an individual level you've got it you've even got like the pve environment or um where where you've got some level of competition and then like at like this like bigger macro level it's only going to be beneficial if people truly care about uh, a guild v guild experience and yeah, I mean, it sounds incredibly exciting what you're building with with Monster Champions. Um, I jumped into your your Genesis Mint, so I'm really excited to see how the whole project plays out. I'm going to be following it uh, very eagerly. So, Palmer, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sure all of our listeners are going to really enjoy this one, and I'm sure they're going to be checking out and keeping tabs on, on what you're building. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, this is really fun. So you ask great questions, and... Uh... I love having conversations about this. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation, why not subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a positive review. You want to catch up on all of the previous episodes? Why not visit decryptingcrypto.xyz? Follow us on Twitter at decryptopodcast. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or just want to leave us some personal feedback, email us at podcast at decryptingcrypto.xyz. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.